Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Abba, I thank you for my bride, praying that your Word would encourage your people. And uh, I pray the same. I say amen. And I ask that um, uh, we would each hear what you have for us uh, this morning. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So, do you remember high school superlatives? Things like most likely to succeed or best hair. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Well, when I was in high school, there were two superlatives that we received. An official one in the yearbook and an unofficial one done by some of the seniors. My official superlative in the yearbook was, any guesses? What? Most like, no, not most likely to succeed. Best hair? Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, back in high school, I did have more going on here, so it is possible, but that's, you're kind of touching an area of bitterness. So it was funniest. Yeah, I know you're all surprised because somehow I lost my sense of humor from, you know, the year 2000 up until now. But anyway, that's what I got. And I remember thinking when I got that, I was like, all right, I'm the funniest. And uh, I don't recall my unofficial one, but there was an unofficial superlative for one of my best friends. And this is what it was. Most likely to ruin their reputation by being friends with David Wine. In other words, I was funny, but I was not popular. Only I didn't figure out that I was unpopular until after high school because I was also not that self-aware. Being popular, being liked, being respected, admired, lauded. This is a basic human desire, I think. We want to get up in front of a crowd and proclaim like Sally Field, you like me. You really, really like me. There was a rabbi during the second temple period of Judaism who turned this idea completely on its head. He was popular, to be sure, with some, but he was also one of the most unpopular teachers of the Jews. And if that sounds like a contradiction, maybe it's because this was in the days before Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Or maybe, just maybe, it's because this rabbi had a different objective altogether. As you know, this year, 5779, starting in October, that's when our Jewish year started, uh, we've been reading through one of the books of Scripture. Which book is that? We've been reading through the Basora, 
or Gospel of John. And now we have come to chapter 12. We've gone through all of that. If this was a movie trailer, it might go a little something like this. Yeshua of Nazareth was a small-town rabbi going around healing the sick and doing other signs. Along the way, he started to make some claims about himself that weren't popular. He was the bread of life. He was the living water. But his whole world was about to change because he had done one miracle too many. He raised Eliezer from the dead, and he claimed unity with God, calling him his father. So now the leaders in Jerusalem were going to do him in. This summer, experience the story that many are saying is the greatest story ever told. The return of the unpopular king. Playing now in select theaters. I mean congregations. From chapter 12 to the end of the book of John... We're focused on one week, the last week of Yeshua's life, where Yeshua enters the city of Jerusalem for the last time. So how did we get here? Well, if you've been coming to Tikvot Israel since October 10th, 2018, when I gave my first sermon on John chapter 1, or if you've ever read the Besorah, you might have some idea. But just in case, let's recap. Why don't we? Yeah? Woo! And now, the story of a rabbi from Second Temple Judaism. Chapter 1. In the beginning was the voice. Really? <laughs> Man, I, I, <laughs> I really gone downhill since high school. <laughs> No, not that voice. <laughs> the voice of God. You could take it down, Robert. They're not going to laugh. <laughs> the voice of God, the sound from his mouth which brought creation into being. The command for there to be light, and there was light. The word that summed up all the mind and all the power of the creator this voice that was both with God and was God moved into the neighborhood and became a person. And although the voice experienced some rejection from the cosmos, he entered into the cosmos to bring eternal life. And we see another figure, John the Immerser, What's he doing? Immersing. Yeah, he's immersing Israel in water and preparing the way for the Messiah. This figure attests to the voice who became a rabbi that this voice is also the Son of God, also the Lamb of God who existed before John the Immerser. And then this John immerses Rabbi Yeshua. And then we also see the first followers of this rabbi called forth, four of them, who excitedly tell others 
that this rabbi they have found is the Messiah, that is the promised one from the Torah and the prophets. Chapter 2. We are introduced to the idea of signs or symbols, such as this helpful sign for a moose crossing. Really? Tough crowd. Yeshua's act of turning water into wine is described as the first sign. What is the purpose of a sign? It points to something else, right? In this case, rather than moose being ahead, the symbol points to Yeshua as the husband of another wedding, a cosmic unity between the people of God and God. It points to him being above the elements, above the laws of nature and science. It points to the joy of the feast that he brings. Also in chapter 2, we start off in Jerusalem, where Yeshua drives out the shady money changers from the temple. And this sign points to Yeshua's body being the new temple of God. The scriptures relay it like this in John 2, starting in verse 18, after Yeshua cleanses and purifies the temple. So the Judeans, the Eudaioi, confronted him by asking him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove you have the right to do all of this, to drive out the money changers? Yeshua answered, destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it up again. What temple is he talking about? We already know. It's not that temple, right? The Judeans said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his Talmudim, or followers, remembered that he had said this, and they trusted in the Tanakh, and in what Yeshua had said. They trusted in the Hebrew Scriptures and the words of Yeshua. How can a rabbi be a temple? Well, it's an interesting question. Yeshua appears a few times in and around Jerusalem and Judea, but we don't really find out how he could replace the temple in Jerusalem until chapter 12, which is this week's Parsha which is also the last time he enters the city. Chapter 3. Rabbi Yeshua has a nice discussion here with another teacher, Rabbi Nick, or Nicodemus, about how we don't just need good teaching and that the signs that Rabbi Yeshua was doing point to something else, something greater. The truth is, is that if we are to really walk in who we're supposed to be, for uh, to walk in our identity as humans, we don't just need teaching. We need to be reborn, like this plant here. We need a new heart. We need the love of the Father to transform us to actually be able to follow God's Torah. We can't do it on our own. For God so loved the cosmos and all of creation that he gave his only and unique son that whoever clings to him 
would not die away, but would have the fullness of eternal life. Amen? Chapter 4. Oop, the Lord is calling. No? Okay, we're going to keep going. Rabbi Yeshua meets an outcast Samaritan woman, perhaps like, uh, like an Arab-Palestinian woman of our time, and they chat. And where do they have a chat? There's a hint. At the well. Very good. Perhaps a well like this one. I don't know. I wasn't there. And this would have brought to mind all the rescuers at the well. And those, all those stories in the Hebrew Scriptures. Remember Isaac? Remember Jacob? Remember Moses? They rescue or encounter their brides at the well. But this woman is about to meet an even greater rescuer, an even greater and very different kind of husband. Rabbi Yeshua makes a connection to the wells of the ancient world, saying that he is the living water, the source of life. The woman begins to understand who she's talking to, that this is also the Messiah who will make all things understood. And then his followers show up, and they are shocked, shocked that he's chatting it up with this Palestinian woman. If you want to be popular, this is not who you would be talking to. Meanwhile, Rabbi Yeshua continues healing people, and the Samaritan woman spreads the story with everyone in her town, so more people put their trust in Yeshua. Then an officer in the royal service asks for his son to be healed simply by Rabbi Yeshua sending his word, his voice, right? His voice proclaiming healing. John records this as the second what? What do we, we see in the, at, the, at the wedding? What? He doesn't call it a miracle, though. He calls it a sign. Yeah. It's another sign. The sign, what does a sign do? It's a symbol. It points towards something else. Chapter 5. Yeshua heals a paralytic man. So, praise God. But he does it at an unpopular time for healing. Shabbat. Isn't Shabbat for resting, the crowd thinks? This prompts debate about what the Shabbat is for, and the crowd gets angrier. And Rabbi Yeshua continues to share that he is Lord over Shabbat, and he has a unique authority with respect to the interpretation of the Torah. And while he's arguing with some that oppose him, he proclaims this in John 5, verse 41. I don't collect praise from men, but I do know you people. I know that you have no love for God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, him you will accept. How can you trust? You're busy collecting praise from each other instead of seeking praise from God only. Hmm. This is a picture of of Rabbi Barney Kasdan, called 
the surfing rabbi. Notice what it says on a surfboard. Can anybody read that Hebrew? Yeshua, that's right. He's a messianic surfing rabbi, a wave rider. And he is taking all the teenagers surfing at the conference in Los Angeles this summer. You notice the conference on the back? He's going to take them all surfing. And guess who are the chair chair people, chair persons for the teenagers? Me and my wife. So we'll be going with him. And we, Sonia and I, will almost certainly be the first ones in the water. Right, honey? I did not discuss this with her previously, so maybe some problems. Anyways. You, oh, Mary's coming. She has Band-Aids. Thank you, Mary. Anyways, uh, perhaps the name Yeshua on Rabbi Barney's board is a reference to another surfer. Who is it, Jacob? The Cloud Rider. Oh, yeah. Who's the Cloud Rider? It's the figure in Daniel chapter 7, also called the Son of Man. You see, in this chapter of John, Yeshua refers to himself for the first time in this Besora as the Son of Man. And this is perhaps, I believe, the most popular title that he gives to himself. He says, the son of man this, the son of man that. If you read the other Gospels, it's a very common title. Even mainstream Jewish theologians, such as Daniel Boyeran, pictured here, have argued that belief in a divine Messiah, who is the voice, the word, the glory, the wisdom of God, this is a Jewish idea based on the Hebrew Scriptures, especially Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man, the Cloud Rider. What does Daniel say? I kept watching the night visions when I saw coming with the clouds of heaven, the Cloud Rider, someone like a Son of Man, He approached the Ancient One. Who's the Ancient One? The Lord, right? yud heh vav And was led into his presence. To him, to the cloud rider, was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom so that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. And the word serve is an Aramaic word. And it means worship, serve, like you would serve and worship the Lord. His rulership is temporary? Is that what it says? Just a little while? No, it's an eternal rulership that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Yeshua is connecting himself by using the title Son of Man, with the cloud rider in Daniel 7. Chapter 6. The crowd was listening to Rabbi Yeshua, but there wasn't enough to eat all of a sudden, and it was almost Passover. One boy had five loaves and two fish, but in the hands of Yeshua, the food 
multiplied, and there was enough for over 5,000 people. Then, when the crowds seemed to get stuck on the signs themselves instead of what the signs pointed to, Yeshua explains that he is the bread of life, the bread from heaven, like the manna that we ate in the wilderness. And what do the people do? Start to grumble. And then, then he says that they have to eat his body because he is true food. And then the people start to look like this. No. <laughs> Did I not put that one in? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let me see if I can recreate it. This is, it's a picture of me. Yeah? No, that, not that one. Stop, Robert. <laughs> You're giving away the, the future pictures. <laughs> All right. Um, where was I? Yeah, so th- what do the people start to look like? Can you show me on your face? <clears throat> grumbling. Why are, they, why are they kvetching? Why are they grumbling? Because it's a hard teaching. How can we eat this rabbi? How can we eat him? I mean, is he kosher? The crowds start to do the same thing. Apparently, Yeshua is now working on his book, How to Lose Followers and Make People Grumble. Maybe that's by Dale Carnegie's cousin, Floyd. Okay, yes. Wife is telling me to move on. But as DJ Kosher Wine reminded us a few weeks ago, do we have DJ Kosher Wine? No. Okay. It's going to be here. Like manna from heaven, we rely on provision. We trust in God with every decision. So what you going to do with what you've been given? Because the power of God means the fullness of living. Yeah. The sign of the multiplication of food means that we give to God everything that we are, and he can multiply it. He provides for every need. And that Yeshua himself is that bread. He is what sustains our life. In the Lord, we have enough and we are enough because he is enough. Chapter 7. Yeshua goes to the festival of Sukkot, but not when his followers want him to go. They say, go to this big festival and you'll be what? Super popular. Right? John 7, verses 2 through 5. But the festival of Sukkot in Yehuda was near. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go into Judah so that your Talmudim can see the miracles that you do. For no one wants, who wants to become known acts in secret. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. His brother spoke this way because they had not yet put their trust in him. And so, Rabbi Yeshua waits. Doesn't go when they tell him to go. But then he goes later on his time. And he arrives and he starts to teach with a unique authority about the Torah. And the crowds are getting more and more upset because he heals on Shabbat and he claims unity with God. So they try to arrest him. And on the last day of Sukkot, during the water-pouring ceremony, and when there are thousands of lights, 
he says that he is the living water, the light of the world. Remember Living Water International? Remember our little fundraiser that we did? You can still give to them. They provide drinkable water to areas where water is needed. Back when we talked about Yeshua as a living water, we had a little community fundraiser for this amazing organization, which also shares the love of Yeshua because they point to him. When they provide drinkable water for people, they tell them about Yeshua, who is the living water. And you can visit them, if you want, at water.cc. Chapter 8. This is Mr. A.J. Jacobs. Do we have that? Yeah, all right. Who tried to follow the Bible literally for a year and ended up stoning an old adulterous man with very tiny pebbles. Chapter 8 of the book of John opens with Yeshua taking a different approach, having mercy on a woman caught in adultery. And we see that he is able to apply the Torah in ways that bring restoration and healing and forgiveness. It is also here that Yeshua's most famous statement occurs, I am. Although they're all throughout the Gospel of John, this is one of the most famous ones. Because he says, before Abraham existed, what? I am. This is a reference to the great I am, the Lord God of Israel, who reveals his name to Moses during the Exodus. At this, what do you think the crowds did? They were very happy or unhappy? Unhappy. And they picked up stones to throw at him, ironically, even though he had mercy on the woman. They picked up stones to throw at him, but he escaped because it wasn't his time. Chapter 9, Rabbi Yeshua heals a blind man who is then interrogated by the Judean leaders who are quite upset about this miracle. And they're saying, well, you're, you're, his, you're his follower because you were healed. And he's like, I'm not his follower. You're his follower. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just healed. I don't know what happened. Right? Chapter 10, we encounter... Yeshua as the good keeper of sheep, the good shepherd, much like Abel, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and this guy from the 10th century BCE, who would later be King David. This is an accurate picture, I believe. <laughs> but he was just a shepherd at this point. We see images of how Rabbi Yeshua saves us from the wolves that are out there and saves us from the wolves that are in here. How he dies for the sheep and then is transformed into a gate which leads to the safety of the sheep pen. How Rabbi Yeshua is the perfect shepherd king. And then Rabbi Yeshua makes a claim that really upsets the crowd around the festival of Hanukkah, the rededication of the temple. He claims to be above the lesser Elohim. He is above the divine council. He is greater than the angels that serve the Lord. 
chapter 11, the greatest sign of all. Eliezer, our friend also known as Lazarus, falls sick. And Rabbi Yeshua doesn't go see him right away. And Eliezer dies. He lives near Jerusalem in Judea, and because the Judean leaders in that area, they want to kill Rabbi Yeshua, his followers plead with him, don't go back there. Don't go back there. You'll die. But he does go. And Eliezer has been dead for four days. And again, Rabbi Yeshua doesn't touch him. Just sends his voice and calls Eliezer back to life. In this last sign, Yeshua gives his life for his friend's life because he knows if he goes to the area of Judea, if he goes near Jerusalem to bring Lazarus back to life, that would lead to his own death. This is the greatest sign not just because of the huge miracle of raising someone from the dead after four days, but it also points to the meaning of his entire ministry. Rabbi Yeshua trades his life for his friends. It's this final sign that is the last straw for the Judean leadership. In John 11, it says, Having said this, he shouted, Eliezer, come out! The man who had been dead came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and his face covered with a cloth. Yeshua said to them, Unwrap him and let him go. At this, many of the Judeans who had come to visit Miriam and had seen what Yeshua had done trusted in him. So he does have some followers. But some of them, say that with me, some of them went off to the Perishim, the Pharisees, and told them what he had done. So the head Kohanim and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin and said, what are we going to do? For this man is performing many miracles. If we, let, if we let him keep going on this way, everyone will trust in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both the temple and the nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was Kohen Gadol, the high priest that year, said to them, you people don't know anything. You don't see that it's better for you if one man dies on behalf of the people so that the whole nation won't be destroyed? Now, he didn't speak this way on his own initiative. Rather, since he was high priest that year, he was prophesying that Yeshua was about to die on behalf of the nation, not for the nation alone, but so that he might gather into one the scattered children of God. From that day on, they made plans to have him put to death. Therefore, Yeshua no longer walked around openly among the Judeans, but went away from there into the region near the desert to a town called Ephraim and stayed there with his Talmudim. And we see another festival is coming up. You catch those festivals there too? You got Shabbat? You got Sukkot? You've got Passover? You've got Hanukkah? He's connecting his life to these festivals. And now we've arrived at chapter 12, finally. Will Yeshua enter Jerusalem? And if he does, will he be received and praised? 
or will he be killed? Have you ever thought about the meaning of this story? I know we're familiar with a lot of these events, but why are they narrated this way? I want to encourage us, read through the book of John. Read through John 1 to John 11, maybe with a different translation than you're used to. And just think about it with fresh eyes. What are the things that we see cropping up over and over? We see signs, symbols, times, and festivals. In each of these, Yeshua is the central figure that the sign points to. He's the fulfillment of Shabbat, Passover, Sukkot, Hanukkah. He is the temple, so he's the rededication of the temple. All of this is mentioned in the Gospel of John for a purpose. He is the water. He is the well of salvation. He is the bread of life. He is the light. He is the fullness of the temple, which is the place of the divine presence. He's not just the one mediating these miracles. He is the one to whom all the miracles point. He's not just giving out revelation. He is revelation. The divine king and God of Israel is fully revealed in this rabbi. The point of these signs and wonders is not, oh, look, he's so cool and so popular, but so that his followers will put their trust in him so that we, so that we will put our trust in him. And on top of this, we see Yeshua healing and restoring the blind the paralyzed, even the dead. The force of life and love flows from him in a way that has never been seen before. From this, we see the purposes of God, and we see Rabbi Yeshua claiming to share an identity somehow with the God of Israel, the I Am, yud Hey vav and in the midst of this, he gets more and more followers, but also he gets more and more unpopular. And the chances that he has to become more popular, he shies away from, saying, my time has not yet come, because he's on a different timetable. And the time of his exaltation is the time of his humiliation. The more good he does, the more he is hated by the crowds. The more he brings life, the more he moves toward his own death. Sure, he has followers, disciples, those that cling to him, but the greater the love and restoration, the greater the risk to Rabbi Yeshua. So we shall have to wait until next week to find out what happens, when and if, Yeshua enters Jerusalem again for the last time. Or, of course, you could read John 12 on your own before next week, if you like. But the point is this. To bring the kingdom of heaven onto the earth, sometimes it takes not the ability to influence others, but humility. Sometimes it takes not a good reputation, but a, a laying down of our life 
for others. It's scary and it's painful to be rejected, to be unpopular. But guess what? We have good company. And the truth is, we're already liked, loved, accepted, and valued. We are beloved. We are appreciated. We are cared for. Maybe not by everyone out there, but by our Heavenly Father. Let's be anchored in that truth so that we can withstand the difficulties in this world because his kingdom is breaking through. This Rabbi Yeshua, this story that we read, he's still healing. He's still doing signs and wonders to point to his love and redemption. The one we read about is alive and well and still living inside his followers by his ruach. He was here before Abraham. He was here before creation. And he's still here right now. His voice still brings life from the dead. So the question is, if Rabbi Yeshua is more than a rabbi, then who is he to you? Let's pray. Lord, your gospel is so amazing. We love reading the stories about you. And we love you, Lord. And sometimes we experience similar things. Sometimes we're not the most popular. Sometimes we feel rejected. But you felt the same way. But you didn't let it, you didn't let it shake you, Lord, because you came to give your life for us. And we also want to give our life for others, not to die literally, but to pour our life out and say, Hineni. Lord, it's not about us being liked, but it's about us following you. And because we're already liked by you, Lord. And those that know that they are loved by you, there's nothing they can't do. We can leap over a wall. We can tame the mouths of lions if we know that you're with us and you love us. So I pray for our community that we would enter into that kind of trust. And in Yeshua's name we pray.